my name is Bruce, and uh, I'm another Bruce. And uh, and uh, uh, there's seven uh, kids in our family, and uh, my my parents were like, God bless them, but uh, there were six boys and one girl. I was the fifth boy in a row. And when I was born, the doctor looked at my mother and said, Mrs. Belair, it's a boy. And she cried. <laughs> and so I have felt rejection right from the get-go, right? And uh, so I need help. And uh, so anyway, uh, I don't know uh, how it is in your family, but in, in my family, we, um, we, uh, we, when we sat around the supper table every evening, with all us boys especially, uh, the volume around the table just continued to rise, you know, because everybody was competing with the other one. And um, and I was the, you know, the fifth boy. So I got beat up a lot of the times. But but uh, I had the loudest voice. And 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 when we were around the supper table, my voice would rise above all of them. And I didn't even have to yell. And my father didn't like me. No, I'm telling you the truth. He did not like me. He called me names. And one of the names he called me, he called me Foghorn. And, uh, you know, and, and like, and all my, my siblings call me Fog for short. Still to this day. My sister phones me up and says, Fog, how you doing? You know, and, uh, and so he called me Foghorn. It really bugged me, you know, at, you know, when it, when it, when he did it because he didn't do it to, you know, to give me a nice title. He did it for, for bad. But I have come to, to realize in my life that sometimes what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. And I got to tell you the story. I might have told it to you before, but I'm going to tell it to you again because we sing the same songs a million times. Right. So 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 um, so anyway, I um, I came in. My father, my father passed away. He was all, he was five days away from being 92 years old, but about three or four years Maybe three years before he passed away, I remember I went out to him, and I got this thought in my mind. I went out, and I said, Dad, thank you for prophesying over me. He said, what are you talking about? Because he was nasty, right? What do you mean? What are you talking about? I said, you called me Foghorn. He said, yeah. I said, did you realize that a foghorn is the only sound that can penetrate darkness? Right? And, uh, and, and it also warns people of danger. And I said, Dad, I didn't realize it then, but I realize it now that that God called me to speak to the fog in people's lives. Right. And to declare and declare to you here in New Glasgow today on Easter Sunday morning that it's a new day. It's a great day, you know, and, and God wants to bless you. And, and so uh, I said, Dad, thank you. So I have T-shirts made up with foghorn on them. And then as I was preaching once at our church, Brother Daryl, I was preaching. I was, I was telling the people that he called me foghorn. One man came up and he said, Brother Bruce, it means the favor of God. So I'm going to declare to you today the favor of the Lord over your families, over your homes and over your lives. And I promise you that that you will go away from the church today, not because of me, but because of him, encouraged to serve Jesus and to go deeper with God. Amen. I'm so excited in my life. And I, I got to tell you this. My dad wasn't a Christian and he got saved in his 91st year. And so I go in my prayer closet at home and the only prayer that I could pray for him was this. God have mercy. I would pray this. I would go and I would pray and I would say, Dad, or God, have mercy on my father. He will not go to hell. 
I said, he will go to heaven. I said, have mercy on him. Have mercy on him. And uh, you know how like um, and, and children, their parents don't listen to the kids. Well, there's no way that dad's going to listen to me, you know. So I sent a guy from our church that's older. And I said, go and talk to my father and lead him to the Lord. And so my buddy Fred went over and picked up my dad, took him out for dinner. And he said, Mr. Belair, he said, you need to give your heart to the Lord. Do you believe in Jesus? He said, I believe in Jesus. He said, have you ever confessed him before people? He said, well, I, I, I believe in him. He said, I would find that very difficult to do. He was a real proud kind of guy. And uh, I said, um, uh, I, Fred said to him, well, Mr. Belair, if you don't do that, then, God, then Jesus will not be able to confess you before his father. My dad said, well, we better do something about that. And my father prayed with Fred, but Fred didn't tell me. And so my wife and myself took my dad out for Chinese dinner one night, and my father was talking like I've never heard him ever talk before. He was talking about being saved and, and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, like, this is the weirdest thing I ever saw. You know something, folks? When you really pray the prayer and you really mean it, it works. And so God saved him. And so... Um, my mom had passed away and my dad was lonely. And, um, and so he, he, you know, it's amazing. People start liking something that they always thought they didn't like. And so he was so lonely. He said, are you going to church? So he could start coming to the rock church with me. Well, lo and behold, he started to realize it wasn't as bad as he thought. And he started liking it. And then he started coming to the midweek Bible study and he started liking that. And he didn't want to miss Part of the reason why he was lonely, and he's a very social kind of guy, and he was enjoying it. The people were so nice to him, and he liked the pastor, and it was just awesome. i got to tell you this. It was awesome. But it was the highlight of my whole career. So my dad's doing good, and I'd bring him. His two knees were gone, and I'd bring him in in a wheelchair, plop him on the front row. And, um, and uh, Pastor Russ Conway was having a service that morning, and he had a, a banqueting table set up on the altar uh, with like china cups and or uh, you know plates and nice crystal glasses and like the like the table of the Lord, like you're coming to the table of the Lord. And he preached on coming to the table of the Lord, being carried to the table of the Lord, and um, and so anyway, um, one thing led to another, and at the end of the service, you know they give altar calls in our church for everything. You know, so yeah, they gave an altar call, you know, to, you want to come to the table of the Lord or whatever like that. And of course, everybody stands up and I look over and here's my father standing with his like like with his two canes. Eh? He's standing. And then um, and then he invites us to the altar. So we go up, Lisa and myself, we're up there. And lo and behold, I look about five people over. My father crawled his way up to the altar and he's standing at the altar. Right. And then the unthinkable thing happens, folks. I mean, they, they start singing this song. It's by a band called Leland. Carry to the table of the Lord. Carry to the table of the Lord. And the spirit of the Lord speaks to me. It says, pick your father up and carry him to the table. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Right. I didn't want to embarrass my father. Right. And I, my heart's beating like this. My, my shirt's moving. And, and, and so I walk over and I say, Dad. Do you want me to pick you up and carry you to that table? He said, yes. So I picked my 91-year-old father up in my arms, and I carried him up to the table. And when I sat him at the table, he kissed me on the forehead, and he said, I love you. I want to I I tell you something. And if he wasn't saved before, he's saved now. Because the Bible says if you confess him before men, 
I'll confess you before my father. And he died shortly after that. I did his funeral and I preached on the message in, in the in, in, at the funeral where they give the guys the same pay at the end of the day as they give them at the first of the day. And I said, you know, God doesn't think like us. The pay is still good, even if you get in at the last hour. So I don't care if you're eight or 80. You know, there's resurrection power that can come to you. Amen. And all this resurrection means is bringing something that was dead back to life again. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. The Apostle Paul said, he said, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. There is nothing more powerful on planet Earth, nuclear power, political power, army power. There is absolutely no power on Earth that could even hold a candle to resurrection power. Resurrection power is, is, is awesome. And if you're a Christian, you have resurrection power living in you. Right? It's called the incorruptible seed, the word of God. It will not die. It will, it will always live. And, and it's living inside of you. And, um, and you are the ark of the Lord. You are the carrier of this resurrection power. In the, in the Old Testament, they would carry a box called the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of the Lord was. But in the New Testament, us, we are the ark of the Lord. We are the carriers of his presence. That's why you've got to realize, like, you know, like the message of Christianity is overcoming. It's victory. It's not defeat. It's not like, you know, woe is me, you know, like, like I could have, I could have been mad all my life at my father for calling me names and everything like that. And I come to realize that if you can't stop the bleeding, you'll never swim with the sharks. Right. You know, and I find a lot of people that are still moping and groping and they're the victim and they're always whining and pining and everything. Well, you're not going to swim out there in that world with those sharks. They'll devour you. They will. Anyway, that's not even my message. I just thought I'd share that with you, you know, but, uh, but anyway, anyway, I, 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 have an, I have an assignment this morning just to encourage you and, and to, and to uh, you know, just to believe for you and your church and, and that God wants to resurrect your dreams and your purpose and your vision. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you here today, uh, you just feel like you just lack purpose. Maybe you just feel like your life's not going anywhere. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in the mud. And everything. But I'm here to tell you that the whole thing about resurrection is God wants to resurrect vision, dreams, purpose in our lives. And uh, I'm 60 years old, and um, I know that's not that old. Uh, I guess it's not that old. it, It depends on your reference point. If you're a teenager, I'm an old man, right? If you're 80, I'm a young man. You know what I mean? So it doesn't matter. Who cares? I'm going to heaven anyway. You know, I just I, I, I just built a brand new house on the lake in Waverly. I, like I build houses on the side. I built an awesome house on on the lake in Waverly. And somebody said, is this your forever home? I said, I hope not. <laughs> you know, like, like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? It's nice. It's got a nice view and the lake is there. Are you kidding? No, no, no. I'm going I'm going to be with Jesus. Anyway, I want to talk to you this morning about the power of expecting a change in your life, expecting a miracle in your life, Ex- uh, the power of, of believing, the power of expectancy. And uh, I actually looked up in Webster's what expectancy means, and it means a strong belief that something will happen. A lot of people believe that nothing's going to happen. A lot of you came to church this morning believing it's going to be the same old, same old, same old. I'm going to disappoint you. You know what I mean? I think it's going to be different. I, I, I just believe that, like, I, I'm just having the time of my life. I just feel like God's resurrecting vision in me. He's resurrection dreams in me. He's resurrection 
a resurrecting purpose in my life. And I just thought, I pray to God, I'm going to finish strong. I'm not going to finish weak. You know, they did a survey, 80 to 90% of professionals in the world and in the church end bad. They end bad. Ministers, CEOs of companies, leaders of companies, they get to the point in their life where they're supposed to excel and just enjoy and pass on their wisdom and stuff to the next generation, and they get bitter and angry and cranky, and they do all kinds of stuff that they shouldn't do, and, and, and they mess up. And I just pray to the Lord that, that all of us older ones, we'll finish strong. Everybody said what? Amen. Yeah, we're going to finish strong. So expect something. You know, Ecclesiastes says, walk prudently. Walk circumspectly when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear the word of the Lord and do not bring the sacrifice of fools, for you do not know you do evil. So in other words, what's that saying is that when you come to the house of God, draw near to hear rather than just come and just do a religious duty. And, and, and enter it because it says in Ecclesiastes, it says that's an evil thing. So come expecting God to change you. The church is a transformation center. If you can't get transformed, it might as well be the bingo club. We're just coming together, singing a few songs and going home. But this is a place where you can come and be transformed. That old can pass, new can come. Your marriage is in trouble. God can bring that back together again. Your finances are in trouble. God can help you with that. It's a transformation center, and it starts with the way you think. And you've got to start thinking that way, that God's got something good. I just wake up every morning thinking something good's going to happen. And I know bad things happen. Bad things happen to me. You know, they tell me I still I got, I got cancer or something stupid like that. You know, and I'm just past the point of ever being afraid. I just don't want it to hurt, to be honest with you. You know, but I'm not afraid anymore because I, I got a revelation that, that, that Jesus is with us, isn't he? His hand is with us. His, and so, so I have no time to be moping. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm blessed coming. I'm blessed going. I got the best wife in the world. My kids are awesome. My little girl, we prayed for her. She just got uh, a job at Western, um, Toronto Western Hospital Orthopedic Surgery. Like she's absolutely, absolutely dropped in brilliant and gorgeous. You know, like I, I just, yeah, I, I could go on there. Like that's awesome. It's a transformation center. Um, now, now listen to me. Uh, you know, God wants you to expect, like, like uh, this is a great church, and God wants to take this church to another level. It's going to demand a few things. You know, it can't be the same old, same old. You got to, you got to, you got to start believing, start believing. Change and power is is coming and helping you. Uh, Luke three fifteen and sixteen says this. Now, as the people were in expectation, and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. John answered, saying to them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The English version of this verse says this, that the people were in tiptoe anticipation of what was coming. I say to you today, it's tiptoe time. I say it's, it's tiptoe season. Everybody say tiptoe. It's tiptoe season. It's, it's to believe God that he's going to do something in your life, in your family, your, your, your children that are away from God. The Bible says if you trained up a child, if you spoke to them when they were young, they will come to know the Lord. 
I just refuse to, to, to give up. And so, so the interesting thing about this verse is that there was 400 years of nothing. There was 400 years of silence. There was 400 years where there was no prophetic voice in Israel. From Malachi to Matthew, there was 400 and some years, and there was no voice, there was no revelation. The people were just going to the to their, their religious things and doing them just because it was like instinct, like a lot of us do. We just come and we do the same old thing, and we're not believing for any change. We're not believing for anything different. And I say, like, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm going to go out, even if I don't see it with my eyes, I'm going to go out believing for it. Right. And, and, and that's 400 years of silence. And then and then when the move of God shows up, it's never like what you think. It's a crazy man out in the desert with his own wardrobe. Right. And he's eating a diet that no one would like. And yet they say 750,000 people went out and were baptized by John. So they, they you know, they, they all say now you've got to have a church in the right community, in the right place, on the right freeway or on the right road. And it's got to have the right this and the right that and the right other thing. Well, he broke every protocol. He got out in the wilderness. He didn't dress right. He wasn't the nicest guy to look at and everything like that. And yet people came to him. Why? Because he had the word of God in him. And he was preaching the kingdom of God has come. And, and about Jesus. And, and it was awesome. It was tiptoe seizing time. Right. Expect God to do amazing things in your life. Praise him in expectation. Pray in expectation. Sow your seed, not not only your money seed, but sow the word of God to people around you, believing for an increase, believing that it's going to do something great. This is good preaching, by the way. You know, see the atmosphere, the atmosphere where the Holy Spirit will pour out is in a spirit of expectation. If there's no expectation, there will be no outpouring. You got to believe. You got to do it. You know. You got. You got to press in. You know, and believe it. Expectation is the fertile ground for a breakthrough. Who needs a breakthrough in their life this morning? Can I see your hand? In your finances, in your relationship, who needs a breakthrough in your like? Just put your hand up. Don't be afraid. It's not religious or not. Stand to your feet right now. Right. Stand to your feet right now. You need a breakthrough in your life. Okay. Close your eyes. Lift both hands up to heaven. Lift both hands up to heaven. Tell God what you need a breakthrough in. Tell God what you need a breakthrough for. Just, just do it. He, he, it's, this is a transformation center. We're not just doing church this morning. Amen? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak as like a foghorn. And I declare into the name of, in the name of Jesus into that, into that unseen world. And I pray for these precious people, your people. It's your church. These are your people, Jesus. And I pray for them. They're standing here. They need health miracles. They need financial miracles. They need relationship miracles. They need miracles of all kinds. And I pray in the name of Jesus that miracles would happen in their lives. I pray that things would begin to change even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. So, so uh, you, know, uh, you know, God loves you so much. You know, your, your purpose is so awesome. Your purpose predates your conception. In fact, God doesn't even allow you to even pick your purpose. He assigned you. Everybody says, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Well, you know, you know, I didn't know I'd ever do this. I found my purpose in church. The transformation place is where I found out what I was supposed to do. I got saved, and then I started going to church, and people started helping me, and God started speaking to me, and he started to reveal in my life what I was supposed to do. Right? 
And it predated my conception, just like when he said to Jeremiah, the preacher, he said, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you to be a preacher. Right? And so God's ordained some people to be businessmen. He's ordained some people to be, like my daughter, when she was just, uh, God ordained her to be in the medical field. She was watching blood and gore when she was 10 years old, and I can't stand it. So she never got it from her mother and father. She had to get it from God. And she wants to work where it's the grossest and where people are hurt the most. I don't get that. But I'm thankful that somebody gets it. Because when you're hurt, you're glad somebody got it. You know what I mean? And so, and so anyway, God's good, isn't he? So I'm telling you, your, your purpose is awesome. And God wants to do some incredible things in your life. Praise the Lord. You know, I, um, I, I found out that purpose and anxiety or, or expectation expectation and resurrection power destroys anxiety. It destroys depression. It destroys fear. And, you know, probably in this church, it's the same as every church I go to, you would not believe even the teenagers are filled with anxiety and depression. And, uh, you know, you give altar calls, what's your problem? Uh, just anxiety. Like, and, I'm, and I'm not belittling it. I don't have the, like, I'm not a doctor. But I know this, they're lies. I know this, that fear is a lie. It's an absolute lie. And when you start listening to it, it just gets you down further and further. But when you start believing the truth, and you know, there's a lot of talk today in the news about fake news. You hear it all the time, fake news. And it is fake, trust me. You know, like it's fake. I don't care if you're right wing or left wing, it's fake, oh, most of it. You know, and you never get the truth. But the Bible's true. And I, I would say, forget fake news. There's fake preaching today. There's a lot of fake preaching. You know, and so so I say, let's preach the word of God. Let's preach the cross of Christ. Let's preach that you've got to come and die and surrender yourself. Then you get resurrected. You die first and then you get resurrected. You give your life away first and then you get resurrected. He said, if you save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life, you save it. You know, so so expectation breeds hope. And without hope, your heart gets sick. You got to have hope. My gosh, get filled with hope today. Hope that something good's coming your way. Amen? Glory to God. I'd like to announce to you there's nothing standing in your way for a breakthrough. Only you. If you're bitter, if you're unforgiving, if you need to say you're sorry, if you need to make some change in your life and God's been dealing with you, that's the only thing stopping you from getting a breakthrough. Just start doing that. If you have to write a letter, if you have to write an email, if you have to phone somebody and say you're sorry, I would say even if it was, your, even if it was their fault, it doesn't matter. Even if you know it was their fault, you still phone and you say, the Bible says, you that are spiritual, restore. Right? So I had to say I was sorry to people that said mean things about me, and I would say I'm sorry, and they would never say they're sorry to me. I could never figure that out. You know, but anyway, I'm the one that got free anyway. I got free. Right? It's tiptoe season. Expect God to move and do incredible things. In Psalm 119, verse 126, it says this, it is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void or as nothing. Any time on planet Earth, like it is today, where they're regarding the laws of God as nothing, and they're throwing the Ten Commandments, and they're throwing the Bible, and they're throwing the things of God off to the side, right? Any time you see that, fasten your seatbelt. God's about ready to do something. God's about ready to act, and he's doing it all over the world. 
There is a massive thing happening all over the world. And we're a little slow here in North America. You know, uh, the Africans come over here and the Filipinos come over here and all them. And, and, and they're almost like missionaries to us. We're so backslidden, you know, and we need to get saved again. You know, I'm preaching now, you know, but uh, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. It's the truth. And, 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 and God's speaking to us and 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 uh, and we're going to and we're going to get it. Glory to God. We're going to get it. I never come this far just to coast to the finish line. Right. Anybody knows in a race when you see the tape, you, 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 you pull out all the stops, don't you? You, you don't you don't slack back. You, you got nothing to save. You're 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 going for it, aren't you, Graham? You're, you're just going for it. Amen. So so uh, so like anytime you see that the enemy just regards God's word as nothing. Get ready. He's about to do something. Your best days are in front of you. I don't care if you're 90 years old. My dad was 91. His best days were right before him and he didn't realize it. Oh, you say, oh, that's just hype. You're one of those hype preachers. Wrong again. Yeah. Wrong again. Just think of this. The thief is on the cross. There's two thieves on the cross. One guy's cursing and swearing. The other guy's on the cross over here, and he looks over at Jesus, and he says, remember me. Jesus looks at him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. How many know his days on planet Earth didn't look too good? Right? He was up. His days on planet Earth were coming to an end, yet his best days were in front of him. Right? Because Jesus said, because Jesus said, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I, I, I don't care if you're 88 or 90. Your best days are in front of you if you serve Christ. Right. Because of why he's resurrected. He's living. He's alive. This is not just some little song we sing on Easter. He is resurrection power. Right. Oh, it's awesome. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Expectation isn't false hope. No, it isn't. And 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 people with expectation, they believed. I was telling the young people I was here on Wednesday night. Actually, I like coming up here. It's a nice drive. Right. And um, the, the woman with the issue of blood, with the blood disorder. She, um, she, there's a crowd around Jesus. He's going to heal the little girl, I think, uh, Jairus's daughter. I think he's going to heal her. And there's a great big crowd of people all around him, hundreds of people. The disciples are all around him. And this woman with the blood issue that was not allowed to be in public with a blood disorder, she could have been stoned. The law of Moses said she could have been stoned. Yet she threw off all that fear. And she said, if I could just get to the Jesus and just touch him, I'd get a miracle. That's expectation, isn't it? And you know something? She reaches in. I don't know how it all went down. I hope when we get to heaven, we can watch videos, but maybe not. But anyway, she, she crawls through that crowd, that little woman, and she reaches in and she touches his garment. And immediately the blood disorder dries up and she's healed. And Jesus stops and he said, who touched me? I can just see the disciples. Who touched you? You know, like there's a million people around you, Jesus. Everybody's bumping into you. And you said, who touched you? Do you know something? You can touch God in a way that he feels it. You can just come to church and sit there like this. Or you can come to church and close your eyes and just start talking to God. And I'll tell you, you'll have his attention and he will feel something coming from you. No one has your voice. Your voice is more unique than your fingerprint. God wants to hear your voice. A lot of men sit in church like this. Yeah, at least at our church, right? You know, everybody's up there on the altar, and they're all singing their songs. Oh, the presence of the Lord is here. <laughs> not, not for those guys, it ain't. They're just sitting there, and they're thinking, what am I going to do? Go play golf after? Go fishing? What am I going to do? Like, no, 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 no. You can touch God and make him feel it. 
right? And she did. Then Zacchaeus, think of him. He's a rich guy and he climbs up a tree. I got to see that one too, right? That's expectation, isn't it? What about the four guys that, that brought their friend and they uncovered the guy's roof? I got to see that too, because I like building stuff. And I'm thinking like, they had to calculate if we rip the guy's roof apart, we're going to have to fix it. <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of work in fixing stuff. So they, they probably figure, well, we're going to tear the guy's roof all apart, lower the guy down, and God, Jesus is going to heal him, but we're going to have to fix the guy's roof in the afternoon. I, they had to fix his roof, right? So, but they, they did it because they believed. You know, and, and, and there's, so there's, so there's expectation. I, 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 I was in church meetings before and I would tell them, them and it's absolute truth, where young people would save their seats. I'd have like festivals at the church and, and everything like that and young people would save their seats, their Bibles, they would save their seats. Just like they were going to a rock concert or something. I'm, 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 you know, like, I remember one guy was coming in the parking lot. I won't say his name. And he, he jammed his car into park while the kids were in the back and the doors were already open and the car was still going back and forth like this, you know, because they wanted to get out so fast. The transmission in that car was in a hurting unit. But, uh, but anyway, in the spirit of that kind of expectation, God would start touching young people and setting them free and everything. And so, so I've been there. And I remember I, I met my wife in San Diego, California. We went to school there. And, uh, and we went to the school of ministry. And, and they would have a guy come every week. And they would preach uh, the whole week um, on the book they wrote or whatever they did. And uh, then a new guy would come the next week. And they were usually older guys. And I was 21 and and older guys there, they were like like 65, 70 years old, like they're older, like and and I'm and and some of them like watching paint dry was more exciting, you know what I mean? And and I remember I would skip classes, you know, and they they had like people from all over the world there, and I would skip classes, and they had security guards all through the place, so I'd have to sneak back to my room, have a little sleep. You know, because I just like I, I, I think I got A, D, 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 W, D. I, I, I couldn't sit still. And they, and they were just born. So then one particular Monday morning, I come down to go to class and they announce that Pastor Paul Trolline from Sacramento, California, is coming to preach the book he wrote. And the 70 year old man come, walks up to the platform and I'm thinking, oh, no, oh, no, not another one. And in five minutes. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, and he changes my life. Now, they got books out now called Leaning In. You know, you'll, you'll hear this new say, lean in, like you're interested. It's just a new term for sitting on the edge of your seat. In my generation, it was sitting on the edge of your seat, and this one is leaning in, right? But I was sitting on the edge of my seat, and he taught us that it was our body, but it was his life, that we were the ark of the Lord. Changed me. And he, and he told us, he told all those students there, all us young people, he said, when you preach the Bible, when you preach the gospel, he said, preach life. He said he had a tree in his backyard in Sacramento, California, and it would shed its leaves and the leaves would fall off on his porch. And then the, it would rain and they were slippery and him and his wife would slip on them all the time. And he got so fed up with it, he went out and got a long stick with a hook on the end of it, and he shook the daylights out of those limbs trying to get those leaves off that tree, but they wouldn't all come off. In the spring of the year, when the new sap came up the trunk, as soon as the new sap hit the dead leaves, they fell off. And he said, preach truth and preach life and death will fall. Right? And so that's what I do. I just tell people, if you want to be a knucklehead, be one. If you don't want to honor God, 
be, be one. It's, it's a free, you got your own free will. But if you want destiny, if you want purpose, if you want to excel in your life, give your life to Christ. Give your life to the Lord. Follow Jesus. Then I'd have all the young people in our, in our church wanting to be the youth pastor. That caused some other problems. But, uh, but anyway, that's the truth. You know, and so and so we need to we need to believe God and have expectation. There's a high cost. There's a high cost of low expectation. Let me just say that and I'm almost done. There's a high cost of low expectation. Right. Like, think about it. Um, uh, I got uh, Elisha. Elisha is dying. And Joash, the king, comes to him. And Elijah says, he says, take these arrows. And he says, bang them on the ground. For the deliverance of the Lord. And he only hits the ground three times. And the prophet of the Lord was angry with him. And he said, you should have hit the ground more than that. You should have hit it five, six, seven, eight times. You should have hit it more and you would have got a greater deliverance. See, there's a high cost of being unenthusiastic. Be casual about your Christianity. Don't be casual about it. Right? And, 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 uh, and, and he hit the ground. Think of Esau and Jacob. Right. I can see if you can read between the lines, because when I read the Bible, I like to read like, what was it really like? And I can just see their father talking to Esau and Jacob around the supper table, telling them about the inheritance, telling them about the call of God, telling them about what God did and, and everything those guys would tell them. And all as Esau was concerned about is the new fishing hut that they opened up down the street or the new hunting lodge or the new Canaanite girl that just moved in down the street. That's all he's interested in. But Jacob is interested in the call of God. And Esau sells his birthright. He sells his calling for a bowl of beans. It didn't even have any meat in it. I mean, if you're going to sell your birthright, at least have some chunky meat in it. Right? It was a bowl of lentils. And he sold his birthright for, for the appetite of the flesh. For my flesh to be satisfied, I'm going to forget God. I'm going to take care of myself first. Forget God. And he lost his, 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 his call of God. He got casual about it, you know. Um, think about David. Think about David. And he's, he's, he finds out finally how to bring the ark of the Lord back into the holy city. And he's, and he's coming into the holy city. And he's dancing, you know. And everybody says, oh, like, you know, oh, he, he's dancing. The, the king of Israel is dancing. He must be kind of a little sissy. <laughs> Trust me, David was no sissy. An army ten times the size of David's would think very carefully if they were going to attack David. David could bend a brass bow. David had arms. David was a great warrior. And he was so excited that the presence of the Lord is coming back into the city, he was down to his underwear, dancing. And all the and he, was, he probably was a pretty good-looking man. You know, and he had all the damsels there watching the king dance half-naked coming into the city, right? And his wife, Michal, is looking out the window, and she's mad. Now, you can imagine what supper was like at their house that night, right? Right? So, so, so David comes in, you know, finally after the day's over, he comes in and she's mad. She's upset, right? And she just, she tears a strip off of him. And she just tells him, you, you made an embarrassment of yourself. You made an embarrassment of me. You're out there flaunting yourself around like that. And he wasn't. He was worshiping the Lord. He looks at her, and I don't know it says this in the Bible, but I'm going to add lib, right? He looks at her and he says, woman, button it. He said, I wasn't even thinking about you. I was thinking about the head of that giant that I cut off. He said, I was thinking about that lion and bear that came out and I killed them. I was thinking about how God used me, and then we brought the ark of the Lord back into the holy city. I wasn't even thinking about you. 
right? And you know what? Because she criticized, because she sat there and she criticized, she was smitten barren for the rest of her life. I got a word for you. If you're critical, you will produce no fruit. If you're critical and you you're, you're just find fault all the time and you're a fault finder and you're critical, you will produce no fruit. Your life will be barren. And I refuse to be barren. I refuse the young lads that I've trained in Shiloh are taking over. They're my boss now. Right? You know, and, and well, I was just down in Florida preaching at Stephen Uke's church, Pastor Paul's son. He's got a big church in Florida. And like he used to, I had him when he was 12 years old. Now he's the boss. He's telling me what to do. Chris Ivan, he's at our church now. I had him when he was 11 years old. Mike Miller, I had him when he was 11 years old. I had all these guys. Another young man's out in Vancouver. He's got a church over 1,000 people. I yelled at him more times than anybody in the youth group. His name is Steve McDonald. Right? And he's got a huge church out there. In fact, they made him the bishop over the whole denomination. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, have mercy on my soul. You know, like what's happening? But I'm so excited because I'm telling you, I'm believing for them. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go to my grave believing for them. Believing that God's going to do them. Because I don't want to do it no more. It's amazing the people that criticize, they don't want to do it. Well, if somebody wants to do it, I'm going to help them. Oh, that's a good, that's a good talk, Brother Bruce. Boys. This is Easter Sunday. They'll never invite you back, but bless God. Okay, that's the last story. I, I, I like telling stories. You don't mind, do you? Um, uh, I, I got thinking, you know, um, because when you think of the cross of Jesus, you know, I, I was a Catholic boy, and I remember I got saved, and I wore a crucifix around my neck, but it had Jesus on the cross. And I don't know who told me, but one guy came up to me and said, you need to get rid of that. He said, Jesus ain't there anymore. And, and he said, you know, and I, and I come to realize he wasn't saying it to, to mock the Catholic Church. He didn't want to say that. But what he was saying to me was that a lot of people want to stick Jesus on the cross, but he's not on the cross anymore. Right. The reason why we, we have the cross and, and there's redemption in the cross is because he's not there anymore. He's alive. He's a living. And so and so anyway, I, I remember that story in the Bible in Second Kings, I think, chapter six. It talks about where remember that the, the, the sons of the prophets are going and they're going to build their prophetic school. And one guy is chopping down the tree. And when he's chopping down the tree, he loses the axe head off the end of his axe. And it goes into the Jordan River and sinks to the bottom because iron doesn't float. And it sinks to the bottom. And he says, alas, master, it was borrowed. There's another message there. Uh, but but he lost the thing, and and um, the the prophet of the Lord came over to him, and he said, "Where did the iron uh, fall?" And he said, "In that vicinity over there." He said, "Take a branch off the tree, a stick, and throw it in the water." And he took it and he threw it in the water, right? And something that that stick had had magnetic power. That iron's at the bottom of the Jordan, and it all of a sudden starts wiggling because that stick represents the cross of Jesus, right? And Jesus threw us 2,000 years ago when we were sunk, when we were dead, that we were down below nothing, that there was no hope for any of us. He threw a stick called the cross. And guess what? He brought us out of the miry clay. He set our feet upon a rock, right? And I could just see, it, the, the Bible says in the old King James, it said, and he made the iron swim. I got to see that, Right? But it says it floated. It floated to the top, right? Like you might feel down. You might feel sunk. You might feel down below. But God, through the, the cross to us, 
and he made us so that we would come back and live. Amen. Amen. And I and I and I remember this old hymn. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply strained within, sinking to rise no more. Then the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Everybody, let's say it. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Stand to your feet. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. Amen. Amen. If you need to have Jesus in your life, it's so simple. You know, I went to church. I never answered an altar call or anything. I just sat in my seat in 1976 at Faith Tabernacle. I was a Catholic boy. A Baptist guy took me. We sat in this church, and I just said, I'm go- I-, I don't know when I said it, but I said, I'm going to serve Jesus. That's all you need to do. Say, I'm going to serve Jesus. Everybody pray with me. Say, Father, forgive me for my sin. Come into my heart. I want to be saved. I want to know I'm right with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, New Glasgow Church. You're awesome.